Ever since you can remember, you felt something in your chest telling you to move, to love, to speak, to try. Day after day, you pretend you don't hear it calling, or maybe you dismiss it as silliness or worse. But it's there, ready for you, and it will wait for you as long as you need. My name is Johnny G, and I invite you to join me on a journey of awakening as we dare to embrace our light. This is Refractive. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Refractive Podcast. I'm Johnny G. There are parts of me, my personality, my abilities that I really love and respect. And then there are the parts of me that have posed problems and challenges for me throughout my entire life. I've always considered myself to be a disorganized person. I noticed that some people had this natural orientation towards having a very neat desk, towards uh, being a, a very clean and structured person. I always find that for me, it took a lot of effort for me to reproduce the type of behaviors that other people seem to do naturally. Um, I always found myself to be somewhat undisciplined and selfish and perfectionistic. And while these are areas of, I'll say, lower strength in my life, um, I've come to see things a little bit differently today. A lot of it is due to the inner work that I've been doing over the past several years to try to heal myself, to try to bring more of my full self to every interaction. And a lot of that involved journaling and written exercises and work with trusted friends and therapists and things like that to really understand what makes me tick and why do I have the tendencies that I have and are they innate? Are they necessary? Or can I pick and choose them? What really am I made of? And so by doing this work, I've come to a belief now that every quality that I can attribute to myself, whether I would see it as a positive quality or a negative quality, is actually something that lies on a continuum. And that whether I see it as positive or negative is really a matter of perspective. And this ties back to patterns of negative self-talk, which has been something that has made my life more painful than it needed to be for decades. And so today I would love for us to talk a little bit about reprogramming negative self-talk. I don't imagine that I'm the only person who has that critical monologue that goes through my mind. And I've found some helpful ways to reframe those thoughts, and I hope that they'll be of benefit to you. Now, I want to kick off with an exercise, and this is pretty simple. If you're able to do this, listen to the instructions, hit pause on the podcast, grab a pen and paper, and right away. If you're in a position where you can't actually do the exercise, you know, take it with a grain of salt, do what works for you. 
So the instructions for this are to take a blank sheet of paper and on the top left of the page, I want you to write the word fear. And then spaced out across the page from left to right, I'd like you to write the numbers 10, 9, 8, and descend all the way down to one. So you'll want to space it out evenly so it will fill up a good amount of the page. And then on the very right-hand side, after you've finished all the numbers, you're going to write the word love. So we start by writing the word fear, then 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, and so on. And then when you get to one, the next thing you write is love. And that should completely fill from the left side of the page to the right side of the page. Now, under the word fear, this is going to be one of the two columns for this exercise. I'd like you to write all of the characteristics, let's say five or six of the most impactful characteristics that you see as negative. These are negative behavioral patterns, negative qualities. For instance, I mentioned that for me, there was disorganized was one of them for me. Undisciplined was one perfectionistic was one for me. So they might be different for you, right? Maybe you have a temper or maybe you hold people to unfair standards or maybe you're judgmental or maybe you're a gossip or whatever the, the negative characteristics that you tend to attribute to yourself, write those top ones down on the list. And when I say top ones, I mean the ones that show up for you most frequently in your life. Once you've been able to make a list of five or six of these characteristics that you would kind of see as problematic in your life, I'd like you to rate yourself on that scale from 10 to one. 10 is the most um, extreme behaviors. So someone who truly had no concern for other people was purely driven by these negative characteristics to an extreme degree, that would be a 10. Someone who almost never faces this as a moment of challenge in their life would be a one. So find out, you know, from extreme to this is not a problem at all, where would you rate yourself? Put an X under the number that would be an appropriate score for you. And I want you to make sure that you're looking at this as a pattern. Don't just take one time where you blew up at someone, but if you picked, let's say, um, anger, if anger is one of your primary ones, well, looking at the aggregate of your life based on how you tend to react in anger, where does that fall on a 10 where maybe you're resorting to physical violence and, and at maybe eight is where you're threatening people and screaming, maybe seven is where you are, you know, uh, out of control with insults or verbal attacks, you know, and so on. So score yourself on those. And uh, once you're able to do that for all of those characteristics, I'm going to assume that you've already clicked pause and, and you've taken the time to do this. Now, I want you to go to the other side of the page. So we made one column that was fear, but after the one, there's another column that doesn't have any content in it. And that column was headed with the word love. And what I'd like you to do is to think about all of those characteristics that you put under the word fear. And let's go to the other end of the continuum. Because if that characteristic were not driven by fear, but instead were driven by love, 
what would you call it? So let me give you an example. For me, if I pick undisciplined, let's say, when I see that behavior, that tendency arise in me, and when I see it, it's activated by a form of fear, fear of inadequacy, fear of, of low self-worth, fear of scarcity, fear of rejection, fear of failure, all of those things, fear of pain and difficulty in life. When, when that character trait is motivated by fear, I call it being undisciplined. So what does it look like to have those same qualities when motivated by pure, pure love? Well, maybe being undisciplined looks more like spontaneity. It's undisciplined when there's an element of fear in it. Maybe it's spontaneity when there's an element of love in it. Another example, a few others might be jealousy, right? If jealousy is what's motivated by fear, maybe on the other side of the page, it might be loyalty. And there's no right or wrong answer. You might have a different a different idea for this. Instead of loyalty, maybe it could be connection or something like that. If it is short-tempered, right? If that's maybe what's on the left side, maybe being in touch with my emotions is what's on the other side of it. If it's selfish under the fear column, maybe it's self-love under the love column. And so you get the picture. It might take you a few seconds to really reframe what that would look like when it's motivated by love, what that pattern, what that behavior would look like when motivated by love rather than fear. Take a few minutes, come up with that. And this is a really beautiful visualization of reframing the quirks that make us who we are. When you look at the marks that you've made on the page, are all of them at a level of 10? Are all of them on the extreme behavioral level of fear? Probably not. Maybe you have a nine or an eight. Maybe you have a seven or two, right? Maybe you have one, two, three sevens. Maybe you have a six in there or a five. And when we look at this, when we look at this, it's much easier to say, well, can I really be defined by this negative characteristic? Is it fair to say that I'm a disorganized person if when I carefully scored myself, I ended up at a seven or a six with extreme disorganization being a 10? Maybe I'm not. Maybe it's not fair to call myself a disorganized person when I lay it out on a continuum and I compare it against what might be the worst case scenario that I can imagine. And this is just a nice, quick, easy, impactful visualization exercise to do to help to reframe these judgments we make of ourselves. Now, the point of all of this is that some behaviors that we resort to are habits. We might have grown up behaving in a certain way and it just feels natural and easy. Some might be hardwired into our psyche. We're just born that way. Or maybe we've developed these behaviors 
as coping mechanisms. Maybe we've developed these qualities because of either positive or negative reinforcement that have caused us to wire these behaviors into how we behave. So this is, uh, to me, it's helpful to think about, well, my disorganization, what's the source of this? If I'm a disorganized person, which I've already told you, I, I no longer think I am, but if being organized the way a naturally organized person is, is comes less easily to me, then is it because of comfort zones? If it, is it because of behaviors that have felt safe and natural to me? Is it because my psyche is wired that way? And the goal is to arrive at a place of gentleness with myself. Because when I equip myself with this exercise, when I look at the paper, it's much easier for me the next time I repeat that well-worn belief of mine that says, the next time I repeat that belief that I'm disorganized, it's much easier for me to say, okay, well, that's not really true. Maybe I'm not the most organized person I know, but is it fair to say I'm a disorganized person? I don't know. Maybe that's not, that doesn't ring so true anymore. And by shining the light of perspective on these judgments we make of ourselves, it becomes easier to reprogram the negative self-talk that keeps us in a small box. It keeps us from reaching the full potential of our birthright. Another angle of this that I really enjoy looking through is the concept of soul contracts. Now, if you aren't familiar with this concept, there's a book that I enjoyed reading by Caroline Mace. Uh, it's spelled M-Y-S-S. But Caroline Mace has a book called Soul Contracts, and she talks about how she believes that each of us, when we are incarnated on earth, we have a certain number of agreements we make with other souls to act as a catalyst for them. So that maybe I am uh, placed on a collision course with another soul so that I can be a caring, positive influence for them so that I can strengthen that person who then has something important to accomplish. Or maybe I am placed on earth in an agreement with another soul that I am to be some sort of villain for that person because this soul before incarnation wanted to experience the bliss of healing through forgiveness. And so uh, it's a really fascinating concept. And again, when I consider the idea of soul contracts, and it, it's, it's an idea that resonates with me. I find that to be an idea that I'm willing to grab onto. What do I truly know? I can't say that that's the truth. I can't say that that's exactly what's happening. But I can say that I like the concept. It feels 
right to me. It feels like it makes sense to me. And so I'm willing to take the risk. Maybe I'm wrong on it, but I'm willing to use it as a tool to organize my thoughts, my feelings, and my beliefs about myself and how I relate to other people in society. A really interesting recent movie that I feel deals with this is the Disney Pixar movie, Soul. So if you haven't seen this movie, if you are spiritual of any kind, I highly recommend it. It is, first of all, it's a visually stunning movie. I think it is the most visually beautiful Disney movie I've ever seen. The way they create the spaces um, in these other dimensions where souls interact together, it's just visually captivating. It's beautiful. And, uh, but there's a lot of richness in this concept, in this movie that I can see where they've pulled these ideas from different spiritual thought leaders. And so I guess the plot of this movie is that there's a soul that dies on earth. Um, and as it's going to the next dimension of existence beyond earth, it doesn't want to leave. It wants to stay behind on earth. And so it kind of um, goes off course and it ends up in the space where new souls that are pre-incarnation are finding out what their mission is on earth. And so it, the way they arrange it is that it's like a bunch of little toddlers who are playing with different toys to find out what toys they like. And as they find out what sparks this kind of beautiful bliss in them, they say, oh, bam. And they have a little name tag where an icon appears and they understand what their soul will be able to do on earth because it's wired in this very very unique way that makes it uniquely qualified to execute on a particular goal or objective. So if you haven't seen this movie, I highly, highly recommend it. I really enjoyed it. And um, it, it gives you a lot to think about on the soul level. So going into this, this movie, taking those main points out of it and applying it to the podcast today, we're talking about this beautiful element of societal living that I come into a society and I contribute to the society what I'm good at. And you do the same. You contribute to our society what you're good at. And by us all contributing our natural strengths and talents, we are better than we were as an individual, right? So we're like cells of one body. And so I have hair cells and skin cells I have blood cells, I have toenail cells, I have right liver cells and all of this kind of stuff. And so the idea of seeing myself, my makeup, my unique blend of qualifications, whether I am quick to temper, whether I am extraordinarily creative, whether I am able to inspire others, whether I am deeply damaged and uh, cause emotional challenges around me, whatever this unique combination of skills and abilities, whatever my essence is, 
the idea of seeing it as faulty or defective is inappropriate. I think inappropriate is the right word without saying judgment. It's not bad, but it's, it's, it's not the appropriate way to look at life from a 10,000 foot view, right? It's not fair or healthy or loving for me to be a skin cell and for me to hate life because I should be a blood cell. That's not fair. That's not reasonable. Yet millions of us do it every day. We pick up beauty magazines or we look at, you know, sexy actors and actresses on TV and we, we compare out and we say, this is not what I should be. This is not what I should look like. This is not what my life should be like. This is not how I should feel every day. This is not how my brain should work. This is not how my emotions should show up. And that's like a skin cell rebelling because it's not a blood cell. That's not fair. We're each a different part of society, each uniquely qualified to carry out this specialized role, to contribute this specialized contribution to the whole based on who we are. And so the challenge in life, as we deal with our ego, as we deal with the, 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 the hand of cards that we've been dealt, is to find a way to love the hand that we were dealt, to avoid seeing ourselves as constructed of the wrong talents, the wrong personality, the wrong desires, the wrong abilities, um, that is incomplete and therefore it is inaccurate. It's not a fair judgment to make on ourselves. And when I think about negative self-talk, you know, let's say that what I just talked about resonates with you. Let's say it feels like a concept you'd like to explore more. It's not a magic solution to negative self-talk. You know, I've believed this for years, but I still am dissatisfied with my waistline. I'm still dissatisfied by uh, certain aspects of aging. Uh, I don't love the fact that I can start to see gray hairs, you know, and, um, you know, so it's not like by considering this perspective, the negative self-talk stops. But what does happen by thinking about my emotional, my mental, and my physical challenges in this way is it allows me to catch myself when I am walking down that well-worn path of criticism. When I say, man, I shouldn't look this way. I can say, well, you know, I don't really believe that. I may not, I may not be in love with how I look, but I don't believe that I, it's wrong that I look this way. And that's a powerful place to heal from. That is a powerful place to step into your soul's true power, to step into your personal authority, to step into the world through a door of love rather than through a door of fear. So let's take a look at this idea through the lens of physical difficulties. 
Okay. So I started out the episode and we did that exercise talking about characteristics, you know, disorganized, quick to anger, etc. But what happens? What about if I'm born with a deformity? What if I'm anorexic? What if I can't use my legs? What if I'm obese? We hear from people that love us when we kind of brood on our physicality and our dissatisfaction with our bodies or with our looks. We hear, oh yeah, but you're beautiful on the inside or you're perfect on the inside. And look, I believe that, but in effect, everyone is beautiful on the inside. Everyone is perfect on the inside. So if I'm telling you I feel fat and you tell me I'm beautiful on the inside, that is not helping me. That is not where I want to go with this. And thank you. I agree with you. Um, <laughs> and it does not take away the difficulty that I'm going through right now. That said, here's another way to look at what someone might call a physical shortcoming, a physical challenge, a physical difficulty. What has this quote burden? I'll call it a burden. I'll call it a shortcoming just for the sake of simplicity. But I hope you realize by this point in the episode that I don't really see it this way. But let's say I'm born without the use of my legs. I can't use my legs. So what has this burden uniquely equipped me to accomplish in life? Now, maybe I'm not talking um, professionally. I mean, I could be talking professionally. I could be an inspiring Olympic athlete, a Paralympic athlete, you know, or something like that, that really encourages other people with disabilities to rethink what's possible and to let go of limiting beliefs. I mean, that's an amazing, beautiful calling to have, but it doesn't even need to be that, that way. It doesn't need to be that literal. Maybe the fact that I'm born without use of my legs, yet I touch people with my positive qualities in life. I express my vulnerability. I'm authentic. I show up. I love myself. And maybe the fact that other people in my life, my teachers, the grocery store cashiers, my neighbors, my parents, my siblings, maybe the people around me who see me go through this and still shine out my soul power despite a physical challenge, maybe my goal is to reinforce them so that they can shine out their soul power. What ripples am I making just by being me? What ripples am I causing in society that are helping other people, that are enabling other people to reach their highest potential simply because I accept myself fully and don't let a challenge hold me back? You know, this is what I mean when I talk about how to recognize that what we see on the surface, that's not God's language. There is a quote from, from recovery literature that I really love. And it, it says, nothing, absolutely nothing 
happens in God's world by mistake. Now, we don't have the time in this episode to go out and talk about wars and famines and death and, and all of that kind of stuff and say how perfect that is. I, I'm not going there with you, so like we don't need to go there. But what I will say is that it does sound resonant to me that nothing happens in God's world by mistake. And so if I have a life that feels difficult, if I have a life that feels especially difficult compared to other people, am I willing to admit that I can't see the full impact of what I do on the world? I don't know how my classmates truly feel about me in their heart. I don't know how the librarian that I just talked to feels about me in her heart. I don't know the impact that I have on people unless they tell me. And so could it be that other people are growing from my challenge? I mean, think about Helen Keller. Think about Helen Keller. What an amazing person who has been able to help disabled people around the world redefine what's possible in their lives. Before Helen Keller, that just wasn't a thing. And so in order for Helen Keller to play the role of helping people with these, these physical limitations see beyond the, the current existing definitions of what's possible, I mean, what a beautiful, noble, powerful, spiritual calling to have. And in order to do that, she had to be disabled. And so how many times did Helen Keller pray as a child for her sight or for her hearing? I wonder how many times, how many times did she ask to be relieved of that? I can't even imagine. But what an extraordinary role she played. And again, listen, I'm not saying that that's fair. I'm not saying that, it, that we can't be disappointed with the role that we've been dealt in life. And I realize that some of the message in this podcast today might simplify, oversimplify some of that. And I apologize for that. My goal is in this, in this short period of time to hand you a concept as imperfectly as I may be packaging it for you, but to hand you a concept that you can unpack in any way that feels right to you so that you can step more fully in a more satisfying way into the richness of your birthright. That's what I want. That's why I'm, that's why I'm saying all of this stuff. I'm not trying to sell you on an idea I want, I want the people on my planet to feel empowered to live their best life. That's why I'm saying this. So if you disagree, or if, if, if one of my examples comes across as insensitive or oversimplified, listen, you're probably right. And, uh, and I acknowledge that. And I hope that you can maybe use your experience to develop it into a more appropriate example that will help you see a different facet of this complicated diamond that is our life. When I look at a wrinkle in time, you know, this was 
it came out a few years ago as a movie starring Reese Witherspoon, Mindy Kaling, Oprah Winfrey. It was directed by Ava DuVernay, um, but it's, it originally comes from a book. A Wrinkle in Time is an incredibly spiritually inspired book. I, I highly recommend it. The main character is a girl named Meg, and she goes on an incredible quest that is, again, it is deeply inspired by spirituality and metaphysics and all this stuff. But there's this, there's this recurring theme in the book where she feels ugly. She talks a couple of different times in the movie and in the book about her frizzy hair and about her freckles and about, you know, she has these other people at school who have, who seem so, um, so pretty, these other girls, and she always feels less than. And so she's on this amazing quest. And one of the characters that is leading her is named Mrs. Witch. And it's not witch like a sorceress. It's which, like, which road should I take? And this is, this character is played by Oprah. And Oprah can see that Meg is suffering from a lot of self-doubt and a lot of insecurity about the way she looks. And she comes down to Meg's level and she says, with the billions of things that have had to happen, stretching back throughout time in order to bring you to be the person you are today, to make you who and what you are today. Who are you to say that it's in any way less than perfect? What authority do you have to say that you are wrong or a mistake in some way? And it's such a beautiful, powerful perspective to think about what roles am I playing in my life that I don't even know about? Who am I inspiring on a daily basis that I don't know about? What adventures and achievements have my very specific combination of characteristics prepared me for and brought to my door? And if I got my wish, if tomorrow I woke up and I weren't a person who was quick to anger, or if tomorrow I woke up and I were a person with blonde hair who was six inches taller, or if tomorrow I woke up and my brain worked in a different way, what are the impacts that I've had in my life that I could not have made? What would I really get if my creator answered my prayers the way I asked them? And would I want that? And so thinking about this from the perspective of the way we hurt other people, I think this is also a valuable healing way to look at this. You know, when have I been unfaithful or dishonest or mean-spirited or aggressive? And when have I caused pain to the people around me? Well, if I believe in karma, and some of you may, some of you won't, whether I do or not, it doesn't matter. But just as a concept, if I believe in karma, could it be possible that the people around me 
needed me to create a certain situation so that they could balance out their soul and their energy. Maybe they needed someone to create a scenario through which they can heal without causing new harm. If we don't believe in karma, maybe I was born to be a boot camp for another person to help them equip themselves for a major impact on the planet. Maybe the pain that I cause my child is serving the purpose of especially equipping my child to change the whole planet in 20 years. I don't know. It's not about making excuses about why it's okay to hurt people. I have consequences for the pain I cause others. There are consequences when I abuse someone or I hurt someone. Some of them are legal, some of them are emotional, some of them are societal. There are consequences. I don't get a free pass just because my victim does something amazing 20 years from now. But can I, instead of beating myself up as scum of the earth, can I say, okay, can I maybe not see my life as a complete waste even though I've hurt people? And can I have faith that nothing happens in God's world by accident? And can I grow and heal through the pain I've caused others? And can I help other people grow and heal proactively now that I know what I know? Can I help someone else who has that same weakness that I suffered from so that maybe they will hurt fewer people than they might have if they didn't know me? Maybe my vulnerability and my transparency and my honesty about my struggles will help to lift up other people. You know, there's so many possibilities and, and we can't know them. We can't know them. We have a choice every day to make a decision of how much of our light we are willing to aim. I used to always think when someone told me, well, you did your best. You know, my parents would say that sometimes um, if I didn't win something at school or if I didn't get the grade I wanted, or even at work, if we, uh, we had a project and we weren't successful and we, well, we did our best. And I really used to look at that as bull, BS. I saw my best as being fully successful in what I wanted. And anything less than achieving the totality of my goal was not my best. And that only weak or dishonest or unmotivated people would truly say that. That if you said, well, you did your best, you didn't really believe that. Or if you truly believed that that was my best, you don't know how amazing I am. That's how I saw it. And, you know, it's a pretty harsh way to look at the world. But it was my truth. It was really what I believed. And today, on this journey of spiritual awakening over the past several years, I truly feel differently about that. I truly believe that we only ever do our best. It doesn't mean we hit a new high watermark every day. It doesn't mean that today's best is better than yesterday's best. But when I say this, I mean that for the moment I'm in, 
for the confluence of things happening around me at this moment, for the emotional pain that I might be in, for the stresses that I might be under, for the physical sensations I might have, maybe I'm sick, whatever the case is, that everything I do is only ever my best. Okay, so let me give you some grace around this because I'm telling you, two years ago, I would have rolled my eyes and said, this is some flowery BS, this is not true, this is whatever. But you know, let's look at a situation that I've considered quite a bit falling back into a compulsion or into an an addiction. As someone who has been involved with many compulsions in my life and someone who has been sober for 13 plus years now, you know, it's a hard thing to look at. When I do something, if I binge eat because compulsive eating has been a part of my challenges in life. When I, if I relapse on alcohol, when I promised I wouldn't do it, when I get drunk again and lose custody of my child, right? This is something that we, we hear about sometimes. If I, you know, uh, I, I, I'm on my last chance and I lose custody of my child because I went and got drunk again, you know, is that really my best? Did I do my best? Well, what were the alternate options there? Maybe there was so much discomfort. There was so, there was so much pain happening that it was either drink or lose my mind. Maybe it was drink or kill myself. Maybe it was drink or have a psychotic break. Who knows? We don't know. We can't possibly know the millions of other timelines that spring out from the moment that is now. And so I trust that my instincts lead me in every moment to do what I think is best. What is the definition of what is best? Is it best for me? Is it best for my child? Is it best for others? I mean, that changes depending on the situation. You know, Byron Katie, who is an amazing spiritual thought leader, I talk about her all the time on this episode, I mean, on this podcast, she says, no one would ever hurt another person if they weren't confused. And this is what I mean when I say, I believe we always do our best. In a split second, we consider everything that's happening, every option before us, and we do what feels like the only thing we can do in this moment. And sometimes it disappoints us, and sometimes it disappoints the people around us, and sometimes it's illegal, but it's the only thing in the moment that we can think of that might give some sort of soothing or relief. And can I find compassion for someone who's in so much pain that they're willing to hurt another person for relief. Again, it doesn't take away the consequences. It doesn't mean I don't have consequences for hurting other people, but it means maybe I'm not a piece of garbage. It means maybe I am a flawlessly broken spark 
of the infinite creator. And maybe I can't see how the ripples I make today will touch a shore 300 years from now. And can I say, I'll do my best to intentionally shine my light, aim my light out to the world and understand that sometimes I meet a high standard and sometimes I meet a lower standard. Again, it doesn't erase the trauma that we cause others. It doesn't erase the consequence, but it allows me when I am stepped on by another person, when I am traumatized or hurt by another person, it helps me to see the other person also as a spark of the infinite creator, doing the best that person can in the moment to make it through, doing the best to get through the day. And can I understand that I can't see how the pain I feel today because of that person's actions. I can't see how that pain will flower in me, the ability to save a life next year or to save a family or maybe down the line to save an entire country. Who knows? Who knows? So the next time you find yourself talking down to the magnificence that you are. Think about the exercise we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Think about the fear-love continuum. And am I stupid? Am I lazy? Am I irresponsible? Am I selfish? And can I maybe just in my mind's eye slide to the other side of that continuum. And maybe if I'm not looking at it through a lens of fear, and instead I look at myself through a lens of love, do I have a different perspective on what makes me tick? And is my judgment of myself fair? Is it accurate? Forget fair, is it accurate? I bet sometimes it won't be. So I'll wrap up with this. I think the essence of my message today is that if you see yourself or others, if you see others as defective, as less than perfect, I believe you are missing a significant piece of the puzzle. But hey, who am I to tell you how to see the world? I'm just a flawlessly broken spark of the infinite creator. Thanks for listening today. Aim your light. You have been listening to Refractive Podcast and this is Johnny G. If you've enjoyed today's episode, do me a favor, give it a share on social media, or if you're in the podcast app, give it a rating. If you're on YouTube, click like. It really does make a difference in the search results. 
I am a speaker, coach, and facilitator based in Washington, D.C., but I work in person and remotely with people who are ready to step with clarity into their most authentic life. If I can be of service, reach out to me, Johnny, J-O-H-N-N-Y, at refractivecoaching.com. Have an amazing day. Be good to each other. And always remember, aim your light.